I want you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew. And we'll get there in just a moment. Let me make a few comments in light of the recent events of the last month or so and how the devil has decided to stir himself up and to attack God's people. I'm thinking about that shield of faith. Remember Ephesians 6, the weapons of our warfare? And one of the specific weapons the Bible says we have in engaging the enemy in this life is a shield. It's called a shield of faith. And the Bible says it quenches not some, but all the fiery darts of the wicked. Darts meaning the attacks, the attempts at tearing down a kill, steal, and destroy. Everything the devil does, I think is described by darts, fiery darts. Peter spoke of fiery trials that are to come our way. Not if, but they will. But in everything the devil is attempting to do, not only does God raise up a standard against him that we spoke of recently, but he's also given you particularly and specifically a weapon that is supposed to always work. It quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. And if you think about it, there is nothing, there's no design of the devil, nothing that he has that he can do, nor nothing that he has to do with that can overcome the shield of faith. Because the Bible said it quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. No matter what it is, no matter how intense it is, no matter what duration or kind of affliction, the Bible says the shield of faith is made by God to quench, to subdue and put out all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, as I look back through the years, I mean, not just here, but in my Christian life and various places and things I've known, stories you've heard, it has not seemingly been so that the people of faith have been winning all their battles or that their warfare has not always been victorious. And it should be. And whenever there is a, a promise made that we can triumph that the victory that overcomes the world is even our faith, that the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts. And when we see that that's not working for God's people, maybe we should all be concerned. I get concerned. I don't want anybody here being defeated. I don't want anybody that I'm teaching or anybody that, that consistently hears a word to be defeated by something in their life that's bigger than the word because there isn't anything bigger than the word of God. So we want to investigate it. I do. I study about it, meditate on it, deal with it, think on it. And about the time I say, I'm going to teach on faith. And he say, you always teach on faith. It seems like every time you open your mouth, you're always talking about faith. I mean, your whole ministry. People, when they think of you, they think of, he's one of them faith teachers. Well, I hope so. Amen. Because I realize that the Bible gives an enormous amount of attention to what we call faith. We're used to it because we hear it so much. But if you keep reading it over and over again, as I hope that you do, you begin to realize that God says a lot about faith. Jesus said when he comes. I mean, the question he asked his disciples, when the Son of Man returns, he is coming back. 
And the first thing out of the box he says is, will he find faith on the earth? He will find a people of some faith. They have a name for their faith, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, so on and so forth. But he's not talking about, will he find a people who are involved in a system of religion or worship? But will he find people who in their relationship to him have faith as he speaks of it, as he gives it? Will he find that? That's what he asks. And he talks about not only when Jesus comes, will he find faith? But, you know, the writers of Scripture says that without faith, we can't even please God. With all the religious activity that's going on in the world today, with all the money that is spent to either glamorize or refresh or make more comfortable, whatever we do in a religious setting, the only way we can please God is by faith. And you can't paint that. You can't remodel that. You can't make it glamorous. It is what it is. It is a word that describes a way we live before God. Without that way, we can't please God. We're even told that those of us who come to God, we have to believe that God is. And I think most everybody does. I think everybody in here would say, well, I believe, in, I believe there's a God. I believe God is. Yes, I believe that. But the Bible says, and ye must also believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the vast number of things that we can call rewards in the Bible are, are not things that people are experiencing. And you know that, and I know that. So we want to deal with it. We don't want to let that slide and say, well, I don't know why it's not working. But no, you go after it. What did Jesus do in Mark chapter 6 when he, he, he was amazed that the people did not believe him? You know what he did? The Bible said he went about teaching in their villages. He didn't just say, well, I don't know what's wrong with their faith. They've certainly heard. I don't know why it's not working. When it wasn't where it should be, when it wasn't like it was supposed to be, and the people were suffering because of a lack of it, and they still do, Jesus went about teaching. He didn't give up. He didn't throw back. He he worked on a sermon about faith again. Another, here comes another one of those faith messages again. But again, look what God says about it. What other subject in the New Testament is called a door, a shield, a gift, a fruit, a work? I mean, what other word is used with that many kinds of a law, a law of faith? Six different things that, that the word faith is attached to. There must be some importance to it. There must be something there that we really need to master, get to the bottom of, and learn how this works. Bible again says without faith, we can't please God. We can't even get our prayers answered. In fact, it is useless to pray if we do not pray believing. That's James chapter 1. This thing about faith goes about you can't stand. We stand by faith. We overcome by faith. And when we're overcome, we sort of sit back and wonder why, you know, I, I believe in God. I wonder why this is not working. What's wrong here? I've been listening to this thing for a long time, and I, you know, I don't know how many rewards I've ever gotten or how blessed I've ever been. 
seemed like I go through the same stuff my neighbor goes through, and, that, and he does as good as I do, and I don't do any better than he does. And I'm one of these people that say, I believe God and all this kind of stuff. The Bible says we fight the good fight of faith. Faith is a fight, as well as a gift and a door and a fruit and a law and, a, and all of that. I mean, it's something we can't get away from. You can't read the Bible without running into the Word. When the disciples saw the fig tree that Jesus cursed, said, Lord, look, the tree you cursed is dying. You know what he said? He said, have faith in God. What? He said, yeah, have faith in God. For if you believe, if you tell a tree to go throw itself into the ocean. Come on now. That's what he said. And you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe what you said will come to pass. You'll have what you said. Heaven loves to back faith. Heaven loves to get glory for itself because you used your faith. There's wonderful testimonies and praises to God when a faith testimony is given. I trusted the Lord and look what he did. And God did this and God did that. We're just glad when things work no matter what. But sometimes it appears as I reflect back and think about this subject. For the last 40 years I've been preaching it trying to live it. As I look back, I think that we have assumed that because we sit where we've heard about faith and we've taken notes about faith or we've had a victory or two in our life, that that pretty well settles the issue. We have faith. But turn to Matthew 6 if you haven't yet. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Now, the same thing is said in in Luke chapter 12 verses 24 through 32, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at a single Greek word from which it takes four or five English words to translate it, and it's a word that used by Jesus. Only Jesus used this phrase. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you than these words? Oh, you of little faith. You've heard that. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus said this four times only to his disciples, and he never said it as a compliment. They never looked at each other and smiled. We're doing good. He never said that good. But he did not say you don't have any faith either. He said the problem in your life is the faith you have is not at the level it should be. How many of you know that faith is designed as a fruit to grow? In fact, it is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians that your faith, it's either 1 and 2 Thessalonians, that your faith groweth exceedingly, the very first chapter. That your faith is designed to increase. That faith is something that comes from the word. You get a measure of it. Maybe a mustard seed of it. You've got it. God doesn't say you don't have it. And what you have, if it remains little like that, you're going to be real disappointed that it's not working right. Because there's something about how we relate to God and as we feed on his word and we begin to exercise ourselves in the word that is supposed to grow. Is it not true that when you were born, let's use your bicep, your arm muscle. 
Isn't it true that when you were born into this world, you had a bicep? You don't need two of them. You don't say, well, if I had more biceps, if I could get, have me some kind of an operation, get me two or three more biceps in here, then I'd be strong. No, sir. The one you have is enough. The problem is you're not exercising it. You've looked at it and said, well, I see I've got that. And you're not using it because when it comes time to use it, you want to back off and do what other people are telling you. Well, you know, after all, this is kind of a, over your head and I wouldn't. And so you begin backing off. So you don't use your faith. Even in little things, believing for your rent, believing to protect you from an accident or praying for your child's sniffles. Little things that faith should be applied for in all of our lives all the time. Every day is an opportunity for you to use your faith, to claim a better whatever in your home. Well, our stove, it just keeps breaking. Why don't you go to the Lord and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want you to give me a new one. Because your faith says you can't do that. It's not that you don't have it. You wouldn't even attempt to pray if you didn't believe. But the problem is you're limited in what you believe because you're not sure you got that kind of faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed and you use it, it'll work. If we start the system or the, the tendency of backing off a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, I heard this 20 years ago, and, and here 20 years later, I'm not much stronger than I was in. Now, something's really wrong because you ought to be using your faith. You ought to use your faith in everything that comes your way. I want to see this fixed. I want to see that fixed. I want to see that wheelchair out of this building. I want to see that crutch gone. I want to see this fixed. I want to see every kind of disease that had the gall to come in this room. I want to see it get out of here. Because something we have is greater than all of this. That's what we're taught. That's what should inspire us. Hey, the Bible said, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to keep losing my keys. The devil is in all of this. He's in the detail in the name of Jesus and then whatever you pray, I want my keys to stay in my sight or whatever you want to pray. I rebuke you, devil. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Be it unto you what? What thing soever you desire? What kind of a thing can you desire? Can you desire to not lose your keys anymore? Now, before somebody left, oh, it's crazy you're losing your keys. Well, maybe it is to you. Maybe you have two or three extra sets. But I don't think we have to go through this frustration of things not working for us. We're all going to be tested. But we are all destined and designed to win. God never put us on this earth to lose. He put us here. He gave us his word. He backs his word with himself. And he warns us and he warns us. It depends on where you are and who's teaching and what you're hearing. But if you're hearing the word, you know that you've got a life to live that has to be in harmony with the Lord. There's no vacations. You can't take days off from the word. This is our life. And the one thing that God wants from us that draws us to him, that depends on him, counts on him, leans on him, and relies on him is faith. And he gave every Christian a measure of it. Nobody is without it. You couldn't come to Christ without it. 
that little bit of faith you have is how you got saved. It's a gift from God, isn't it? And he said that gift is like a, a little seed. It's designed to bear fruit. It's got to grow. God wants your faith to grow. He wants you to use it. To not write poems about it, but he wants you to hide the word in your heart. Use the word because that's what faith does. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now this word in our text here in verse 30. This, oh ye of little faith. This is a single Greek word. It's a compound word. It means there's two words that make up one word. It's translated, oh ye of little faith. I don't know if O oh is a word, but ye of little faith is four other words. We could say one Greek word uses five English words, or we could just say it uses four words. But here's what he said. Jesus said to these people here, what your problem is that he's dealing with here, we'll get to in just a moment. He said, you're leaving out your faith. Oh, you admit you got faith again. We've all got a measure of it. But what good is it if you keep complaining that you can't win the battles of life and you're not using it for the little things in your life and you wait till something big comes along, some life and death situation comes along and you say, oh, and it's hard to win those battles. It's never God's fault when things don't work, folks. It's our fault. Let God be true and every man a liar. This word comes from these two Greek words. Oligos means puny. Ooh, or small, or little. Now, my hillbilly Greek is not as good as more sophisticated Greek would be. But it's good enough for me to understand this. Okay, oligos means puny and small. It doesn't deny the existence of it, it just says that what exists is not very big. It doesn't have a lot of power because it hasn't been used along the way. All those many opportunities in your life, you could have used your faith and you chose not to. You could have been better off than you are. Epistos is our word from which we get our Greek word for faith. The word means persuasion, firm persuasion. It's whatever convinces you of something. When you're looking at something you're going to use your faith for, it's only faith. When you're convinced this is going to work. It's not try and see if we can get it to work. It's standing and looking and then engaging your enemy and say, I know this is going to work. It's a firm persuasion, a conviction, a conviction that is in a person's heart that is based on what they've heard. You have faith in a lot of things because of what you've been taught in your life. You have faith in driving your car if you drive a car. You have been told if you do this or if you hit that button or hit this switch, the lights will come on. You believe that. You don't have to try to make it work. It just works. I would use my pop machine again, but you're all so used to that. But it's one of the best of my illustrations. 
you read the instructions. It tells you what to do. Now, doing it's your business. It just tells you from our side, from the, bear with me, but from the Coke side, the Pepsi side, the Coke machine, we can't make this work. We'll tell you what we will do from our side, but you've got to believe what we're telling you. Bible's like that. Some people are firmly persuaded they're going to catch cold. They are convinced, I'm going to get it. They act like they're going to get it. They run around, you know, doing what things that people do to evidence, I'm going to get it. I'm sure I will. I get it every year. You know, if anybody gets it, if everything comes this way, I get it every year. <laughs> they're convinced. They have faith in it. They have faith for it. They have faith for wrecks and accidents. They have faith for fires and tragedies. They, they believe this is going to happen. They prepare for it. And that what they're using to prepare doesn't keep it from happening. They just hope that when it's over, I can survive. You're expecting it to happen. The devil comes in and here, he, oh, yeah, he's coming. You better get ready for Oh, yeah, and when he comes, oh, boy, you're, that's what you believe. That's what people talk about. You heard it all your life. I did too. My parents never sat around and talked about what they could believe God for. My dad used to talk and tell me about what we can't do and what we're not going to be able to do. And mom said we can't. And I don't know what. It just seemed like your whole life was some sort of a negative, dismal existence. And God comes along in my life and rescues me from that perishing ship. And he said, this is what I will do for you. And it was so new, I said, how can you do that? I don't have that kind of a job to believe for a home. When I believed for a house, I had no job. I had a promise. I wanted the promise to come to pass for me and that woman. I wanted it. I didn't see how it could work. He didn't say you had to see how it could work. He said to believe what he said. All right, I'm taking you at your word. I'm asking in Jesus' name for the new car or the better used car, wherever your faith is. And folks say, you've claimed a car? Yeah, I have one in Jesus' name. Well, where is it? I have no idea. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to get a car, but you don't know where? I have asked the Lord for one. The Bible says, when you pray, believe, you have received it. And you shall have it. I remember when I first heard these things, I thought, that doesn't make any sense. Sounds like Christian science or something, but no, I learned it's Christian sense. It's what God said. All my thinking was wrong. All of my expectations were based on what my parents, the education system, the world, the devil, everybody said. I expected all my life to get sick. I was sick all my life until I was 20 years old. I stayed sick. I coughed all my life. Had pneumonia all the time. You're used to that. The remedy for all of that is some kind of a, a pill or maybe some kind of a procedure, but the, this is the way it is. That was in my mind. And then I got saved and God sovereignly and wonderfully began to open up scripture to me that, I, that was been in there all along. I never knew it. Nobody ever said it. 
And I begin to realize I am a victim of the way I've been taught. All the things that I have learned, the way I have processed things and put them in, in my little pigeonholes and categories in my mind, which compel me to act this way. I've been sick and wrong and negative my whole life. And the Bible says that we are transformed as, listen, as newborn people. The new birth is an instantaneous change of your nature, but a transformation is a process. It's a process by the renewing of your mind because your mind isn't renewed in one meeting or in one month, but it's a process of learning, of learning and, and again, processing and, and realizing, well, this was wrong, and you put that down and you start taking up this, and there's a challenge here. It's a tedious, difficult process. Not many will stay with it. But the end result is your mind begins to see things God's way. Remember God said, your ways are not because your thoughts are not my thoughts. You're not thinking right. You're doing wrong and you wonder why as you go to church, nothing's working the way the church says it's supposed to. What's wrong with me? Your thinking is all messed up. God brings you to learn something. He wants to renew your mind. He wants to show you his way and show you the evil of the old ways. He wants you to use your will and say, Lord, I see my mistake. I see my problem. And he wants you to do things his way. And you long to go back to the leeks and the garlics and the melons of Egypt, but you've got to crucify all of that stuff because that was where death was. And God's given you life now. It's a new way of living. And your mind, the more you live and the more you use your faith and walk this way, hopefully, hopefully, all of you, when you reach an older age in your life, a time when the sun goes on the other side of the hill, headed that way, that you'll have peace in your heart. That you'll have peace and joy and storms and wars and rumors of wars and difficulties will not subdue you. For you will be able to say, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. How can you say that? Because I used to think the old way, but I see it differently now. I believe like Paul, I believe it shall be, even as it was told me. Sometimes what God tells you, your faith says, oh, I don't know about that. Do you think God would tell you something he wanted you to do if he knew you couldn't do it? Do you think that God would ask you to do something you could not do? That's not fair. God wouldn't ask any of us to live a way we can't live. He wouldn't ask us to do something that we can't do. That wouldn't be fair. The problem is we don't want to do it because we have talked ourselves out of it. The faith is waiting. Boy, your faith is like, oh, let me go. Oh, let me go. Let me go. Let me win this battle for you, brother. And we say, well, uh, you know, and that old way of thinking that never did, those cobwebs in the back of your hard drive come in and start ting, uh, messing up the picture and tangled and all of that. 
Well, you know, I know I should, but... Or the devil says, well, now, faith will probably work, but the way you live, and you know God ain't going to honor you after you haven't even been trying. And so you give up then. There's so many ways the devil causes people to back off. And here's my point. If we resign ourselves in this life as so-called believers, believers, if we resign ourselves to the level of our human abilities... If we only see ourselves in the light of our own ability, we begin to look like grasshoppers in a world of giants. And you'll learn how to make excuses, and you'll learn to associate with those who make excuses so you can share your excuses, so you can talk yourself out of guilt or maybe conviction. And say, well, you know, I know God could, but I, maybe in this case, it's just, uh, you know, I just don't. Listen. Rebuke yourself. Just say, I rebuke myself. And then begin to say, I want God to be true. I want the word that I have heard, especially about healing or, or deliverance or protection. I want all of that to be real and evident in my life. The only way I can get it to work is by believing it. It doesn't work because I read it. It doesn't work because I heard it. It doesn't work because I took a lot of notes and I'm teaching a Bible study or preaching or a pastor of a church. That isn't why it works. The word doesn't work because you're around it and associated with it. The word works if you believe it. Remember the Bible said in Hebrews 4 and verse 2, he said, the word they heard did not profit them. Is it supposed to? Somebody's going to have to help me. The word is supposed to profit us, advance us, improve us. But it did not, and it still doesn't today, if you don't mix faith with it. Now, God help us. If we hear it and never use it, if we've been hearing it for 30 years, 20 years, as long as you've been saved and you know better, something is really and tragically wrong. We are to be the people who have the testimony that God is faithful. We are to be the people who are ready always to give an answer to people who ask us a reason of the hope that is within us. You don't have any hope without faith. Faith is a substance, the reality of what you're believing for. You couldn't have expectation if you didn't believe it. And you have to believe it because you can't see it. Now, when you can see it, you don't believe it anymore. You got it. People say, well, I'll believe it works when I see it. No, you won't. You'd know it then. You got to believe it when you don't see it. That's the difference. We walk by Faith, and not by sight. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Oh, you of little faith. He said, the results that you folks desire, the result that you want are not working for you. Listen to me, because your faith is puny. 
if that's a little bit strong. What you want happening in your life that's not happening is because your faith is little. Well, so that's condemnation. I don't think so. I don't think so, unless it's true. God doesn't praise doubt, does he? I think he condemns it. Y'all better agree with that. God never praises doubt and unbelief. But listen to me. I don't care what the problem is. You, your children, your body, your life, your future, your tomorrow, your money, your job, whatever it is in this life that troubles you or that you want to see fixed, God's remedy for all of this is faith in his word. He watches over his word to perform it. You got a word about your problem, you've got God's assurance that he'll deal with it with you. But you've got to use your faith. He holds you to that. You can't say, Lord, I've read in the Bible, I've read, I've read, I've read. <clears throat> Heaven might be brass. But it's when you begin to put God in remembrance. That's Isaiah 43 and verse 26. When you begin to put God in remembrance, he hadn't forgotten anything, has he? Could he forget his word? Well, absolutely not. Then why would he say, put me in remembrance? He wants you to arm yourself with his word and come before him with his word and say, Lord, you said. That's what he wants. He said the word that goes forth out of his mouth shall not return unto him empty or void or worthlessly. Well, what does it do then? Isaiah 55. Look at verse 10 first. Does it say as the rain comes down from heaven and snow and waters the earth and causes it the earth to bud and bring forth? What do you see then? What's that mean? God sends rain to make the earth grow, doesn't it? And when the earth begins to grow because of the rain, it brings something that profits the people on this earth. Bread to the eater. You don't want to eat all your seeds, so you leave some seed for what? Seed for the sower. God gives you enough, not only that you can eat it, but you have enough left over to get more of it next year. And then he said, verse 11, so shall my word be. What does it say? So shall my word be that goes forth from what? It shall not return how? Huh. Does God want it to return? Say yes. It's designed to return. God speaks his word. There it is, folks. There it is. Now, what are you going to do with it out there, he would say. The only thing you can expect me to do is what I've told you. You can't have faith in what I haven't said. Faith comes by hearing what I've said. Now, I've spoken my word. You want to hang around somebody, talk you out of it? That's your business. I'll judge it. But I'm going to give you my word. You can read it. You can think about it. You got 24 hours out of every day. You can get into it as much as you want to and grasp as much of it as you want to. And to make it better, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
He will show you things to come. He will be the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Your eyes will be open. You will begin to see things that were never seen before. You couldn't have seen them if God hadn't have showed them to you. And he's shown them to you. And what does he show you here? So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth that shall not return void. What shall it do? It shall accomplish. And he said at the end of that verse, it shall prosper, didn't he? What will it accomplish? It shall accomplish that which I please. Well, let me ask you a question. Does it please God to do what he said? Does he want you to know what he wants to do? So what he wants to do wasn't your idea. It was his idea. And if he wants to bless you, it's because he gets blessed by blessing you. You're not blessed by being not blessed. He wants you to receive what he's promised because it pleases him. And what's the last part say? It shall prosper into what? What does it say, Keaton? That's whereunto I sent it. That's what he said. Let me ask you another question. Did God send his word to you? He has loved us enough, he's put it in a book. And we've all been able to read. We have now a book that is this word that God has given to us. He said, faith comes by hearing. And the only right way to live on this earth, man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. But this word is special and it's unique. Only the Holy Spirit's going to show you what that means. You can read it and you can academically do a lot with it and write stuff about it. But it'll never produce faith. It'll never produce faith until the Holy Spirit makes it real to you. But when he does, back to our question, Isaiah 55 again, verse 11, he said, It shall what? It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He sent that word to me. He sent the word to Tom Hamilton. He sent it to me. I'm sure he sent it to others. I was around a lot in the old days that never got it. They sat right beside me. I sat right beside them. A few of us did. Not everybody did. I've run into some of those from yesteryear. Every, once every few years, we'll run into somebody from back in the old days. They're still where they were. Same questions they had then, they still have today. They have not grown. They have not. It's not like they don't have any faith. They do believe they wouldn't have come to the meeting if they didn't have any faith. But their faith is puny. It's little. It's been a real disappointment. The message has been disappointing to a lot of those people because they never used it. They never used it for little things. Parking meter money. New tires for the car, the truck. Grocery money, a new home, a whatever it is. I mean, whatever level of faith you have, they never used it. They only saw their ability in, in life as a Christian with who they were and the kind of money they made with the job they had, and they didn't see how they could expect anything more than that. It never occurred to them that faith can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think because God can do that.
That's the source of our faith. It never occurred to them. So consequently, they live way below the level that God had for them. They were just never fully persuaded. I know the Lord is there in my life. I'm just not that convinced that I can just say that in the name of Jesus, I claim my healing and I'm, I'm going to be healed. I don't know that I can do that. You need to be taught. You know that? Of all the places you need to be, you need to be where somebody can teach you the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. See, the kind of faith God wants you to have is the kind of faith Abraham had. He's called the father of the faithful. Turn to Romans 4. The faith of Abraham. You know the story of Abraham, at least one of them. There's several stories about him, about Sarah, his wife, and him going to be the, the father of a child in his older age. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, now speaking about Abraham, with regard to the promises God gave him. Now think of it. I guess we've heard this a thousand times, a thousand one, I guarantee it won't hurt you. God said to Abraham and waited until he was probably a year older than I am, or a year older than I will be in a couple of weeks. He was 75. Abraham, you're going to father a child. And he said, Sarah is going to have a baby. But the Bible says for both of them, they received strength to conceive. Sarah did because she counted him able in Hebrews 11. And in this verse right here, verse 19, it says, and not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. There's two ways you can read that. He didn't give his body any, any thought about whether or not this could work. Or he looked at his body and said, look, with regards to childbearing, you know, those days are past. But when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah had never had a baby. She never had. She was barren from her childbearing years up until she was 90 years old. And now her womb was closed or, you know, or past that time, of course. And he said, verse 20, with regard to all of that, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Strong in faith. Do you suppose that's why it worked? The word staggered, you see the word staggered not? Staggered in James chapter 1 is translated waver or wavereth. In Mark 11 and verse 23, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and taken up and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he says shall come to pass. Well, the word doubt is the same word as staggereth. It could be translated, he did not doubt the word of God like a man whose faith was weak would. But Abraham, on the contrary, was strong in faith. 
because the Bible mentions those that are, that are strong in faith. There are those that are weak in faith. There are those that have great faith. And oh, oh ye of little faith. And there are those that have perfect faith. The Bible shows there's different levels of faith. And he shows that some of them work and some of them don't. It just doesn't accomplish what God wants. Like little faith. Oh, you have little faith. He wouldn't have said that if they were succeeding. He said that because they were failing. He said that because there was a lack in their life. Oh, I'm sitting under Jesus. I don't, I don't have any problem with faith. And yet they were having a problem with faith. They were expecting somebody else to have faith for them, I guess. But Abraham, the Bible said he was strong in faith and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was also able to do. Does your Bible say that? Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Nothing has changed this morning. That what God said then about Abraham, he can still say today about us. We're no different. We're no different. I don't care if you're Elijah, a man of like passions as we are, or if you're in the human flesh like Abraham was. The promises that were made years ago by God are the promises that are still made today. He still watches over that word to perform it. It still accomplishes that which he pleases. It still prospers in what he sent it to do. Not everybody that's heard it or that received it will get it, but some are going to get it. But Abraham was fully persuaded. Now go back to Matthew 6. What are we talking about here that's a rebuke against puny faith? Well, verse 25. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 25. This might hit home. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now take no thought. Those three words are translated by one word which means anxiety, anxious, or for us, worry. Worry. Let's just use the word worry. Therefore, do not worry for your what? Life. Your life. Huh. Well, maybe he's talking about concerning your life, just what you eat and for what you wear. Nor yet for your body and so forth. Verse 27 which one of you, by worry, can add a cubit to his stature? Well, nobody could. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? About what you're going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field and so forth. Verse 33, and why worry saying, what are we going to eat? Or what shall we drink? Now, I try to eat carefully myself, but I'll tell you what, every now and then I do enjoy something that you're not supposed to enjoy. I think today the government now, you know, they say you can't drink big drinks anymore, too much sugar. I heard not long ago that now they want to take away trans fats, you know, cookies and pies and muffins. See, they don't want you to eat that because it tastes too good. If stuff didn't taste good, they wouldn't mind you eating it. 
And it's not like, you know, there's no dread and fear. Somebody hands me a, a really, really warm, in the morning, fresh-made sausage egg biscuit. I said, I don't know about eating that stuff. Well, I don't eat it all the time, but I'll tell you what, I, it's hard to let that thing slip out of your sight very far. <laughs> or a bratwurst. Oh, brat, we don't have much stuff in a bratwurst. I imagine a whole lot. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's loaded. But you know what? You know what your faith can do? You can lay hands on a brat, or you don't have to lay and just pray. Pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, with thanksgiving, I receive this delicious, fat-laden bratwurst. <laughs> with some mustard, and I'm sure stuff's in there that shouldn't be in there, too. It's something and everything is not good for you, but it all tastes good. I receive this in Jesus' name. And the Bible said all foods are good if received with thanksgiving. So if you pray, you need to think about that. You can use your faith for that. You can. There's more to life than bean pods, folks. I eat organic foods. I eat whatever's set before me. But I'm just saying life is not about worrying about what you're going to eat or worrying about adding a pound here, a pound there. If you'd be a person given to appetite, you eat too much, put a knife in your throat. You know what the Bible says that? Worry is a killer. Worry is indeed a faith eliminator. And all the devil has to do is give you something to worry about, something for you to take thought, something that makes you have anxious thought. Because you see, when you worry, you're again, you're a grasshopper. You're looking up at a problem for which you obviously have no solution. If you had a solution, you wouldn't worry about it. It wouldn't dominate you if you had a solution for the problem. But you obviously, when you worry, you don't have a solution. I don't care what you've heard, how long you've heard it, how many years you've heard it. If you don't have a solution, you're dominated by the problem. If the word of God doesn't rise up as a shield to quench that particular fiery dart, which is going to bring you down, if it doesn't, you're going to be defeated. And you'll say, well, I believe God. I know you believe God. God knows you believe God. God said his people were destroyed for lack of knowledge, not because they didn't have faith, didn't believe who he was. You ask anybody in your church that you believe God, they'll all say yes. But very few of them seem to be successful in what they're doing. Look at all the things you worry about. Look at the things that people worry about. Take the world's care. The cares of this life. Remember that verse? Choke the word, the world's care. What does the world give us to worry about? Well, food shortages, things that'll get you, the high cost of health. You know, there, there's such a controversy today about the government's health care system that, and I'll be quite honest about it, by choice, by choice. I am totally ignorant of what that's all about. I am. I not only don't want it, I won't have it. Say, well, you'll have to pay a fine, then how, what check number you want me to write it on? I don't need that. You know, they say you can keep your other plan. I've got a better plan than they got. <laughs> don't you? Well, of course you can. 
I'd rather the 91st Psalm better than all of it. So I, I, by choice, I don't know what they're talking about. And people are wringing their hands today. They're getting excited and angry. They don't know that God will take care of them. And because they don't think that he'll take care of them or they don't believe he'll take care of them, they're scurrying around trying to find something they can believe. And then when they find something or that they can afford, when they find something they can afford, they can't do what they used to do because all their money goes into health insurance. They're so afraid of tomorrow. They worry about tomorrow. Jesus condemns it. He said, you're my people. Look at what I promised. Look at what the word declares is yours. Why would you worry about anything? Why would you fret and take thought about anything, even your life? There's more to life than some kind of fleshly worldly security. But oh, if you don't believe what God says, you're going to worry about that kind of stuff. Look at all the violence that's in the world. Since the Twin Towers fell a few years ago in New York, our whole society's changed. You can't even go, they tell me, to the Kentucky Derby without going through a machine. I've been in many airports since all of that. You have to take your shoes off now. To go through the airport, you've got to take your shoes off and put them in a little tray, empty your pockets, take your belt off. I'm looking at me and Bonnie, I said, do we look like people are going to blow up something? Well, if you don't do everybody, then they'll accuse you of profiling. Kind of done. I don't want to live in fear of driving down a road. He's going to blow me up or shoot me. In spite of that, I'd rather think God shall give charge to his angels concerning me and they shall keep me in all my ways. Well, what if they shoot at you? Well, I remember a guy years ago had a vision. He said they had chained him to a wall. and The firing squad was about to shoot him in the last days because of his Christian faith. And somebody said, do you have anything to say before you die? And he said, yes. And he said, what? He said, your guns won't fire in Jesus' name. And click, 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 click. And he disappeared. Chains fell to the ground. And he was translated to another country preaching in a Bible meeting somewhere. He said, well, I don't know about that. Well, maybe you won't be. Maybe they'll shoot you. <laughs> I'm just saying, what do you believe? What do you believe? Jehoshaphat was just going to go out there and face the enemy without a weapon because somebody prophesied, you won't need a weapon in this battle. All right. I'm going out there like with nothing, not even a sword. Would you have done that? Not without his faith, you wouldn't have. Because you've learned to make excuses. Well, I, you know, we know about this. You know, I don't know about that guy prophesied all that stuff, but we ought to have at least two or three more prophecies to confirm that one. I mean, out of the word of two or three witnesses, and after all, I don't know if I want to walk out there with my family, and here comes a million soldiers, three combine armies, and you want me to walk out there like, praise the Lord? I, well, come on now, let's get real. You wouldn't have walked with them, but they did, because they had just spent several months in Bible study. And their level of faith was where it should be. It's a picture of the end time church. Jehoshaphat's daddy, Asa, he was faced with a million Ethiopians. How many of you know that a million soldiers is quite an army? That's a horde. 
That's a... And here they came. And Asa said, Lord, we don't know what to do here. This is over our head. Now, these are my words. We're not able to deal with this. I mean, in the natural, we can't deal with this. Every one of you have been there in your life about something. Every one of us has faced a similar situation. Maybe not an army, but it may be something else. And you've said, Lord, this is big, and we don't know what to do. We want you to help us. And he did. They lost a few soldiers, obviously. There was some deaths that took place. Jehoshaphat lost nobody. Not a single soldier or person. Not one. The only battle in the Bible, maybe in all of history, in which an army was defeated without a single loss from the other side. Not even one person died. They danced and carried on. And God calls them enemies of Jehoshaphat to kill themselves. Asa fought and fought and fought and fought. And God gave them the victory. Sure, they lost some men. But that's what they believed. They believed they had to fight. They believed they had to draw the sword and go. I mean, this is the way you fight. But Jehoshaphat was told, you don't need to fight. Where's your faith at? What are you going to worry about? You're going to worry about tomorrow? You're going to worry about food? You're going to worry about the cost of living? You're going to worry about the cost of health insurance, the cost of gasoline? It just jumped up again this morning. I've heard. Oh, it's jumped 30 cents a gallon. 30 cents. That might mean the world's about to end. What are you going to worry about? You're going to worry about your body? Your body doesn't even belong to you. Did you know that God bought you? You are his purchased possession. Your body is his house. That's an easier prayer to deal with. Lord, fix your house. <laughs> Lord, make your house right. That's not hard for him to do, is it? Debt. Most of what people have for debt today is, is unnecessary. It's just a part of the fleshly whatever. I know there are debts that have been incurred that probably couldn't have been avoided. I don't know. I, there's a lot of different scenarios. But a lot of people worry about debt because once you get debt, you got, you're buying a house, you're buying a car, you bought some furniture, now you want to go on a vacation and this and that. Next thing you know, you got more like the government. You got more going out than's coming in. And you start worrying about what you're going to do if. What will you do if? How are you going to pay for your kid's education? How are your kids going to go to college and learn how to drink and smoke and sleep with people if you don't do this or that? Well, yeah. I mean, you want your kid to grow up and go to college so they can get drunk. You got to do that. Oh, excuse me. But people don't do that in college. I was thinking about when I was in school. I'm sorry. Forgive me. They don't do that today. You know what the problem is as, as we close? You know what the problem is with worry? Security. We're not secure. We think if we can get this and we can get that, if we can have one of these and have this package or that, we'll be secure. If I had a platinum insurance package, you don't want to go to hospital with that. Because that means everything they want to do is paid for, and they do whatever they can. But what you do want is to have faith in God and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, 
according to your word that you sent to prosper in my life this way. I receive wellness and healing in my body. I can't make this work. I'm counting on you who watches over your word to perform it, to do it. And when I get to the place where I am secure with that, I'm good with that. I don't want anything else. I'm not looking for anything else. I sense that I am free from the danger that so many are scared of, that I am secured. I don't want any security from the world. Don't need it. The most secure person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. Who was more secure than him? He died with nothing. He didn't even have a place to lay his head because he was bearing the curse of the law for poverty for all of us. And he didn't have anything. In fact, they took his robe at the end. He had nothing. And he was secure. He wasn't worried about his life. He wasn't concerned about going out in the wilderness and facing the scorpions and the, and the wild animals out there when he was being tempted. He didn't say, oh, no, this is too hard. He just went. He wasn't afraid. As the Bible said, he knew in whom he had believed. He knew that. And so he was secure. We don't need a safety net for the future. You know that? Let me tell you something. Your bank account is a little bitty thing. You got a lot of money in your bank account. You know what? Your bank account is a sorry thing for you to have to depend on. You know how quick it could go? You don't yet, but you, you will in the future. How quickly it can dissolve. Somebody can sue you and you got nothing. There's a thousand things in this world that could happen. Best thing for you to do is not see your security in a dollar bill, but in Jesus Christ, who will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Well, we seek riches in this world. We seek security in this world because we think if we have a little money, if we have a, a home paid for, if we have a car that's new enough that we don't have any foreseeable repairs and so forth, we feel pretty secure. But folks, your security is not in things. Our security is in Jesus. What things soever you desire, what do you desire this morning? As we close, what is it this morning that you desire? Is it physical? Is it your body? I'm asking you. We could say bow your head so you'll think about it, but you can think about it with your eyes open. What do you desire? Is it your marriage? Is it a bill you got to get paid? Is it a child? Is it something physical? It doesn't even matter to God what it is or how bad it looks. Nothing is too hard for God. Remember that? We sing it. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Then take your burden this morning, whatever your problems are that you're anxious about, and learn how to cast all your care once and for all, forever, over on the Lord, and tell yourself in the name of Jesus, I choose to believe what God has said, and he will take care of me. Amen. 
Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless to each one of our hearts the reality of your word, the reality which produces faith, that we would forbid ourselves to assemble, to hear the word of God without getting a grasp of it, without faith being produced in the service, in the meeting. We call upon the Lord and the power of his spirit to produce faith in us, to make it real to us, to make us secure in him and finding all of our peace and joy in him and his promises and what he's done. I pray for this assembly. This is where you've put me. And I pray for these who have assembled here today. I pray for those who are watching. Pray for those that are listening. That in the name of Jesus, faith will rise up to a level of strength in our lives. And nothing shall be impossible to us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.